that building full of grace, I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is episode 71 of the Dispatchist, interview with a penologist. And with me this week are my co-hosts, Jamin. Not the penologist. And Liz Andres. Hello. Did I screw up your name? No, that's fine. No, Liz Andres. (laughs) Andres. Okay. Yay. Welcome back, Liz. It's been a long time. Hi, Liz. Thank you. Hi. I'm so delighted to be back with you guys to talk more about pan, devil, goats, all those horned things. Yeah. It's actually been like exactly a year because we talked at the last Halloween about Beetlejuice. Oh my gosh. Time flies. That's one. Mm. Beetlejuice. No. So we don't have a lot of hell news this week, but I would like to kind of talk about something that Liz is working on for the next year. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we connected through uh, Morbid Anatomy. That's how we all met. So we love Morbid Anatomy. Yeah, that neat little art conglomerate and sometimes virtual shop and discussion of death, art, and culture in New York. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we've been doing a lot of classes and things together. And I've got a, a workshop coming up on Pan himself. It'll probably be called something like Summoning Pan. And it's going to be offered next spring. So stay tuned for exact dates, but probably a March-April offering. And it's meant to be very kind of interactive, conversational exploration of Pan. Exciting. And those ongoing kind of interactive lecture workshoppy things are really where I think Morbid Anatomy just lights up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So much room for exploration together there. So everybody come on over. Check it out. Awesome. Well, I think we'll probably jump right into our topic. But before we do, did anybody bring anything to the party? I brought some beverages. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Victoria's not here, so we were hoping someone would bring that. I brought three because oh. I couldn't decide. There's oh. one for each of us. Yes. Yes. Yeah, should I just dive in and tell you what I brought? Yeah, like a, yes. flight of, a flight of them. Yes, yes. Well, I thought I'd start basic with a nice red wine since we've got this Greco-Roman theme, especially the Greek theme. The okay. Greeks love their red wine. So just some old-fashioned red wine to get tipsy with. A gentle beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we'll kind of bump it up a notch or maybe bump it down a notch and get deep with a kind of medieval mead. Miravor. Have you heard of Miravor? Miravor. Is that like, it sounds very Tolkien-esque. It is. You're <laughs> so smart. It is. It's a Lord of the Rings connection that I think something the elves concocted. Oh. But it's a mead with lemon peel and cinnamon and honey and edible oh. flowers. It just seemed like something oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. yeah. And then last but not least, if we want a little more like a sophisticated crowd, I thought we could just have a gin and tonic with like a branch of juniper with berries on it because Pan is such a nature god. Just, you know, throw in some leaves and twigs, call it a day. I was threatening to bring in a pangalactic gargle blaster just because mm-hmm. of the name, but uh, I couldn't find all the ingredients. Some of them don't exist. Imaginary? Very. Yeah. Or, okay. or just volatile. Like they exist for like three seconds in a lab. That's all you need. Well, I brought some fruit. Oh, uh, we had a healthy. long discussion at work. So I stopped by the supermercado and this is a basket of guayabas because goy, goy spell G- that G-U-A-Y-A-B-A-S. Oh, say guayabas. So a young lady at work brought in guayabas. She says, hey, Ruin, I brought guayabas. They're very special fruit. And I look at them and I'm like, those are guavas. And she's like, no, no, no. They're not guavas. Guavas are different. These are guayabas. And I look at them. And they're little, they're, little, they're kind of yay big. And for those of you listening along at home, I'm holding my fingers <laughs> up just so. And kind of like white. Two quarters wide. Yeah, yeah. And we cut them open. It looks just like white and fleshy. And I'm like, this is a guava. She's like, no, it's a guayaba. It came from the supermercado. And we all bite into them. And we all say, this is a guava. <laughs> Right. And so, like, the entire office is just going back and forth. And eventually, look, and guava is the American word for guayaba, which came first. It's not the Spanish word for guava because they had it first. But imagine naming things in Spanish in the Spanish fruit store. I feel like maybe in the fruit family, a coco de mer might be the perfect thing, but they're illegal to own. 
Have you seen them? They're the ones that look like coconuts, but like a woman's butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, long story short is after we all argued, we all ate them and they were delicious. So that help yourselves. The important thank thing. you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I brought some light entertainment being chained in a forest filled with poets and crawled on by three imps. Oh, gross. Well, they're poets. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. It's okay. So this week we are talking about Pan, and I think that we met you, Liz, before we had a shared workshop on Pan that you led. Um, right. I don't remember what the context was. It was probably morbid anatomy. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and you gave this delightful like art history tour of the evolution of like visual representations of Pan through the centuries. And it was mm-hmm. a really neat episode. So as we're on kind of a goat kick this month, we really wanted you to stop by and, and visit. I love it. I mean, Pan is like the king of goats, the original goat god, right? And he segues in. He has so many connections to every kind of goat worship you could imagine. So I'm really happy to explore it with you guys. Yeah, he's like the goat backbone throughout a lot of just early nature myth. Um, he is. How shall we begin? Is He's not just another horned god. Let me let me start. Okay. And I he took me aside earlier and oh, he very clearly did? said... Jacob did. And he said, you must refrain from all stupid jokes involving skillets, walks, implements of eggification. Mm. And he said, there will be consequences if you make a pan pun. (laughs) And so I... It sounds like something I'd say. I just want to say, this may be my last episode because next episode I may be dead. So fair. Okay. Let's boldly fold for, forge forward. Harsh, but fair. If I may say so. I mean, I take no issue with pan puns. I mean, you got to go <laughs> where your heart leads you. <laughs> well, where do we start? I don't know. Where do we start? Uh, how far back should we go? Who As was the first pan? pan? Um, first pan. What? Were we at like a, a thousand BC or 600 BC or thereabouts? Let's ask where was the first pan? And like, what do you mean when you say the first pan? That implies there's many pans, like many iterations of pan. Or what do you mean by that? Aren't there? Such a great question. I guess we'll find out tonight. I know he started out as a goat and not a not a satyr fawn thing. Right. He started out as like a god who, yeah, was in the shape of a goat. Exactly. Ooh, that's and very he, primal. Very primal. And he was just a Miyazaki. goat. <laughs> just a beast, right? Just a beast. But on two legs. So he oh. was pretty much always on two legs. So he always had a bit of the human in him. Okay. It's a little awkward. It is awkward. But so kind of this this version of Pan was like pure nature god. He didn't have all these kind pure of nature god. cultural had, associations yet. I mean, he kind of did. And this was like around 6th century BCE. So he's probably, he's certainly more ancient than that. But the images of him as a goat show up around 600 BCE. Hmm. And he's a nature god, he's a fertility god, he's a sexy beast, he's a musical god, he's got all those components already. But nature god is kind of his most pure, ancient essence, if you will. In Greece, in Arcadia, rugged mountain countryside of rural Greece. But then he got very popular in Athens and kind of took off from there. But he started out in the country with the shepherds. I was wondering where Arcadia was because in my head, it's like the word for fairyland and I don't have an yeah. actual legitimate grounded place for like it. Narnia or something? New Orleans? <laughs> it can be. That's Acadia. Oh. You were supposed to say that's Acadia. There's also a California somewhere. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Arcadia is um, Did you look up where Arcadia is? Greece. It's in central Greece. Yeah, it's legit. Well, it's, but it's one of those things that has also been It's a mountainous central region. Exactly. It's not the coast. It's very much central. Central, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So heartland. But it's really. also fantasy, like you said, right? Like it becomes synonymous with fantasy and idyllic really, countryside. It really does, and it it seems like anything lends through pan becomes very fey. Mm, it does, like he, but not till later. Okay. Okay. So, but okay. So we're not there yet. Okay. So let me ask this: as we're saying these words. We have a nature entity and a fertility entity, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, you've got fertility is in the crops and the harvest and the animals producing, but they're very domesticated and mm-hmm. agricultural, 
whereas nature is very wild and over there and unruly. Mm -hmm. Where do they meet? Where do they meet? Yeah, they meet in Pan. I think that's a great way to frame it, right? Mm -hmm. Pan is a god of shepherds and flocks, mm -hmm. so that kind of domestic animal, but he's also a god of, of panic and wild nature. So he's kind of the intersection in a lot of ways. He doesn't live in the cities. He doesn't hang out with the people in the cities. He's very much rural and out there in the countryside. But that's also where the shepherds are. So, you know, kind of animal husbandry is different than agriculture in a way. It's almost like an intermediate stage, you could think, right? Is there like a real cult of the shepherd myth? It feels hmm. just omnipresent. Hmm, That's a great question. The Zoroastrians had it. They kind of reverenced shepherds above above soldiers, above a lot of other categories, mm. just under kings. Yeah. You know, I don't know as much about that. I mean, Pan as a god of shepherds is, is out there supporting them, but he's not, he's not a god of agriculture, right? Like that's so different okay. to be a god of fertility versus like a god of agriculture, like Demeter or somebody like that, so maybe who is more tamed. Maybe shepherds are a place again, where nature and civilization kind of meet. There are little ambassadors towards the edge of the wood that spend way too much time with goats. Right, exactly. Liminal spaces, right? Like oh, you're yeah. civilized. Oh my not. gosh, we haven't said liberal liminal in like two <laughs> episodes. <laughs> we said liberal in three episodes. Sorry, I, was, I couldn't do it. You want to try again? No, no, no. I'm good. Okay. Yeah, liminal. Let's bring back liminal. Those liminal spaces, right? That's where shepherds live on the on the edge, on the outskirts, so to speak. And his temples and his worship was like also very kind of pushed back into the wilderness. He wasn't a city. He didn't have like city temples so much. So that's such a great question for the most part, except he was super popular in Athens. So he actually had a, a really? shrine or a grotto on the Acropolis itself, on the, <laughs> the walls of the Acropolis. So he was worshipped in Athens. So in, in like kind of a mock grotto. Well, I mean, it was carved out of stone. Yeah, but he never had temples. It was always caves and grottos and things like that, whether naturally occurring or, yeah, maybe carved. But there was never huh. like a, a built structure for him. It was always these natural spaces. And caves too, right? Yeah, 100% caves, deep, dark caves with weird sound effects and echoing components, places to enter kind of the womb of the earth, if you will, which is part of why it gets connected to the underworld, right? And in, in some later incarnations and iterations. I don't know about his subterranean connections. I, I know Dionysus went there, but I didn't know that Pan did. Well, he didn't. He didn't ever, as far as I know, go to like Hades proper, but he is in these caves. And I think it's only later when you start to get some of that blending and blurring with the devil and, you know, Byzantine period and these kinds of different cultural shifts that that starts to blend a bit. Things in caves must therefore be connected to the underworld. But he wasn't in the Greek mind necessarily connected to death or the underworld. Uh, one, one thing that seems to be kind of in doubt about Pan is his parentage, like what his ancestors are and they're kind of all oh. over the place but um they seem very a lot of them a lot of his parentage stories seem very down to earth um mm. so there's kind of this reverence for nature in his birth but also he's he's chthonic in the truest sense of the word which is not of heaven but of of the planet earth yes I mean, that is part of his greatest power, I think, right? It's why he resonates across the centuries so readily and kind of gets incarnated in different ways. He's, I mean, his father is usually understood as Hermes, right? This threshold mm -hmm. God. Okay. And that says a lot about who he is. But I love what you're saying about of the earth, because Pan is, he's earth, he's earthy through and through. And that's part of where that divide kind of comes up when you get some of that Christian imagery and ideology of, of leaving the physical realm and kind of focusing on the divine a god like pan doesn't really mesh well with that he's kind of the antithesis of that i haven't thought about hermes as his father because hermes is also kind of fades into the devil myth later on yeah um as as a strangely chthonic entity mm -hmm. that's and a psychopomp right i mean he's yeah. a go-betweener go and they're both very trickstery in, in their own special and ways Yes. Interesting. Like like father, like son. Huh. Definitely. And you know, Hermes was also kind of a god associated with shepherds and music, just like Pan is. And he's also someone that kind of gets transmuted into some of the Christ imagery, which is interesting because you can see Hermes and Apollo in some of the Christ imagery, and then Pan, of course, perhaps in some of the devilish imagery later on. Huh. And Apollo Apollo has his own things to answer for in terms of the devil. So that's maybe its own own long tangent. He's got a complicated history with um, 
like plague gods. Mm-hmm. And snakes. <laughs> oh, everybody's just tied up in snakes. Oh, Pan doesn't have a snake thing happening, but everybody else he doesn't. does. Yeah, everybody okay. else does. Good, good for him. He's too quick. Yeah, the parentage. What what do you what have you heard about his mother? Like I feel like his father is a little more clear, but there's more to it than that. But his mother feels more in flux. The two things I've heard, and I don't remember names just as as a thing, um, is that he was either born to you Ulysses' wife, a human a human woman who was someone mm-hmm. else's wife. Mm-hmm. Or at least three nymphs, possibly at the same time. (laughs) I hadn't heard the Ulysses wife one. I'd heard that there was... Probably screwing up the actual reference. Hmm. It was someone's wife. What have you heard, Jamin? I mean, one of the stories is that his mother was just a straight-up goat. This goat that also nursed Zeus, Amalthea. Oh, wow. I didn't... I knew... Yeah, Amalthea was the... Who was it, Liz? She was like a divine goat, and she she nursed Zeus. You know, like when Zeus had to get hidden from his father so he wouldn't right. kill him, he like suckled at this divine goat. And Pan maybe was also her son in some sense, like Hermes and a goat, a divine goat, <laughs> create this hybrid creature. Yeah, a very load-bearing goat there. <laughs> Fascinating. And, you know, there's some of those images from the Roman period, I think, especially where Pan is very goaty and he's engaged in you know sexual activity with just a goat a straight-up goat and people are always so shocked by those images but like that's how he came into being probably so he's a goat at least half goat is that so strange (laughs) i think also in a more agricultural time it might have flown under the radar more for sure those shepherds man although herodotus had to make a commentary on this he said well yes that might have happened but also the egyptians and the go to mendez and all that so they did that too oh so, mendez we'll, we'll go there we'll go there a lot soon goats they're so attractive um i'm going to i'm going to take us down in the gutter for a little bit talking about his father hermes i have a note that said that he learned masturbation from hermes hmm. and then taught it to the shepherds but, that makes sense. But this was, uh, I think it was a, a satire of some sort. So that might not be like official canon. <laughs> it is 100% canon. Okay. <laughs> it is now. It the is shepherds now. were bored it, it and had nothing to do. And suddenly now they have a hobby. That's yeah. A lot, a lot of time out there. Yeah. It totally tracks. I mean, he's super sexy God, right? He's all about the phallus. So that makes sense. Does he ever have like a, a happy relationship? He has one happy relationship, as far as I could tell. He's always oh. in pursuit and never like succeeding, right? Right. But he did apparently have a nice relationship with the moon goddess, Selene, which is really lovely to think of this nature god and this moon goddess having some kind of happiness together. But they didn't have any children, I don't think. Yeah, it was kind of a short-lived relationship, too. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of want to go back to your pursuing. Mm-hmm. And I don't... I personally don't want to equate that with unhappiness. Like, just because he's not in a long, stable, committed relationship doesn't mean he's not happy. And let's go, let's skip forward 2,000 years to the early Baroque Mm. when we're painting all these fawns and satyrs and nymphs and they're running wimbledy-bimbledy among the forest, scantily clad, and everyone's smiling and everyone's having a grand old time. Are they giggling? Yeah, they're giggling. They're happy. They're happy. Okay, good. They're, They're not unhappy. So, just because he wasn't in a stable relationship, does that mean he, well, let's, let's, I'm having these thoughts as I think them, so let me just flap my mouth, right? Society has norms, and part of societal norms are familiar relationships, you know, family units, stable relationships. If he is the god of the wild then that's absolutely going away with society. Totally. He can't have that. He's never going to settle down and get married or anything like that. Exactly. It's wild. But, yeah. Totally. But an off, his, his, his lady people, his pursuance had a bad habit of um, getting dismembered and falling off mm-hmm. of cliffs mm-hmm. and turning into plants. Yeah. He um, was so, frustrated, I would say, at times. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, well. it could have been some good LTRs except for the dismemberment and plant transmutation. You know, yeah. if you can't be with the one you love, dismember, dismember the one them. you're with. <laughs> yes. 
That is our Wait, no, stop. That's bad advice. <laughs> so there was a, a good thing between him and the moon goddess. I him know and the moon they, goddess. I know they had some dalliances. I also know that the only reason she got with him is because he wore like a white fur pimp coat. Yes. Yes. Like a sheepskin or something or a white goat skin to cover up his like his true nature or something. So right. you could dive into that, right? Like why did he have to hide his true nature in order to find a little love? What Was he considered kind of grotesque or, or he, monstrous? He was. I mean, he was worshipped. Like I think that's like a really important thing to remember. Like he was worshipped as a god. So he had that like status, but he was also bestial. You know, and that can be disturbing. And he was very like bestial in terms of his sexuality too. So he was yeah. like wild and crazy. And a little bit later on, kind of post-classical period, it does get so kind of romanticized. Like you're saying, Jamin, like these beautiful cedars and nymphs, and they're just having like this hedonistic pleasure fest. But it wasn't necessarily like that originally. Hmm. I just I, it's just kind of flashed through my mind. A god that has that same kind of pattern is is Bess oh. from the Egyptian pantheon. Bess is squat, very phallic, um, kind of associated with the devil as well, but I think he was a fairly fairly joyful deity. Mm-hmm. That's how I understand him. Yeah, and Pan is too, but like Pan can turn on you. Like so many of those Greco-Roman deities and others too, like they're lovely one minute and then they turn on you the next and cause panic and dismemberment and, you know, you don't want to upset them. <laughs> but as long as they're happy, everyone's happy too. Yeah, like the challenge of good versus evil doesn't really occur until like 300 yeah. BC or so before then it's order versus chaos and like yeah. did you really consider these people good <laughs> right right really none of them <laughs> and chaos is his middle name basically you know pan panic pandemonium all that good stuff come from him for good reason I wouldn't I wouldn't trust him but but I would worship him I would love him he's important <laughs> he's nature you know like nature is the same way right unpredictable hmm. beautiful and dangerous <laughs> it's it's to to directly uh skew narnia when they say is he safe no but he's good <laughs> and in this it's the exact opposite is he safe no is he good also no <laughs> he seems less okay. willfully harmful than than a lot of greek gods right yeah, right for sure and he's not malevolent Mm-mm. but he's not good no i don't know if you'd say he's good yeah but would you say nature is good right Right, right. Nature does what nature does. Definitely right? not. Kind of nature relevant. is cold and uncaring <laughs> and will dismember you if she loves you. Yeah, right? That's just that's just their nature. The nature of nature. Unpredictable. Kind of. Maybe another good relationship, but this is this is Faunus, not Pan, and I don't mm. really know what the difference is. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about that. Are they are they the same? They're like conflated, basically. Okay. So syn- syn- syncretic, but not necessarily the same entity. Right, right. Okay, okay. Well, what were bummer. you going to say about Faunus? What were you going to well, say about Faunus? Faunus had a really nice relationship with um, Bonadea, mm-hmm. who was either his wife or his daughter, although maybe both, I don't know, Greek, uh, it's mythology. Um, <laughs> but she was kind of, she was the goddess of chastity uh, and fertility of a sort and kind of the state as well. Yeah. So it was this kind of neat, fun pairing of wild nature god and um, the representation of kind of order, um, maybe sanctity of marriage type thing, and um, the city, and, uh, unlikely pair, but like it sounds like a really yeah. good balancing pair. And like mm-hmm. that particular pair goes all the way back to the um, earliest Mesopotamian myth, where like the the gods married the city itself, almost. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's so. The Romans are so much more about city, right? In so mm. many ways, <laughs> right? The Greeks feel like they handle pastoral nature a lot yeah. more reliably than the Romans. I think so. Like that's one of the big divides for me. Like maybe not for everyone, but we tend to conflate Greco-Roman so often, right? And all those gods that get overlapped, and like some of them are the same, some are different, some are conflated. It's all complicated, right? But for me, the Greeks are much more in tune with the natural world, and the Romans are much more in tune with the imperial world. Right. And kind of leveraging that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're all about kind of the imperial cult. And the Greeks, on the, on the other hand, the Greeks are just crazy for syncretization. So maybe they deserve it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it all comes out in the wash to some extent anyway. Ha! Joke's on them. We didn't invent washing until 1200. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of, speaking of, um, back to the originals, like, was, was, uh, pan grotesque 
And if we look at some of his early imagery, the bronzes, the castings, the pottery, the sculptures, and there's a lot of wild, shaggy, hairy, unkempt, but, you know, we had soap, but we didn't use it as much. We had knives, but we didn't spend as much time on grooming, our, you know, and facial grooming and everything. I guess my point is beauty standards were different. Yes, that's fair. Sure, civilization, people did maintain themselves to some extent, but I think everybody was just shaggy and hairy and unkempt. Oh, not 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 the Romans and probably not the Romans. Yeah, the Romans were very into personal grooming. And the I young think, Greeks, you know, yeah. the beautiful young Greeks that are so perfect. And then when That's you get older, true. you can we get have all shaggy the, with age. <laughs> yeah, they get philosopher as they get older. Pan did have a bad case of, like, frying pan face. <laughs> he definitely was chasing parked cars. <laughs> a little bit of that. And there's a story about when he was born that, like, his either his mother or his nursemaid kind of freaked out and screamed yeah. because he was so ugly. Yeah. Um, and then, like, a bunch of guy gods brought him up to to Olympus and said, hey, look what we found. And I was like, oh, it's only kind of I horrible. Loved him. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he is kind of a freak. And he's the only god in the Greco-Roman world, really, that is not just a beautiful human. Yeah. Right? I noticed that. He's the only <laughs> one that, like, has that that um, that animal thing. Actually, yeah. no, I think some version of Poseidon has that as well. Mm, like, like some fishy tails and stuff. Fishy tails and, like, lobster claws, but maybe. that's the mm, big 12. And I, right. I guess he's not really part of the Big 12, right? He's not, but he's a, a son of the Big 12. Like, if Hermes is his father, Hermes and is so, a like, And so, like, lots of other sons of the Big 12 were just completely random things. Um, Scylla, Charybdis. Right. Bark Dog. Titan Monsters. What's those his are, name? Those, but are, you know, those are sons of Titans. And but, they're much older, right? Which yeah. speaks to Pan's antiquity. Like maybe he's much older too. Like that's one of the questions. Like maybe he's kind of carrying that weird hybrid thing through. Whereas in the Olympians comments, like we're all just basically human now. Mm, but pretty. all those other things are from the past. They're the chaos that we kind of triumphed over, so to speak. But right. Pan still squeaks through. <laughs> and that maybe a heavenly versus chthonic thing as well too. Mm -hmm, um, like mm -hmm. uh, uh, Hecate has a very strong dog association and occasionally portrayed right. as being a dog. Kerberos, mm -hmm. that's the name. I, how could Jamin forget Kerberos? Oh, Kerberos. What? Mouth of hell. Yeah, but he's ancient, right? And, and he's right. like a monster. He's not a god. Like, there's lots of monsters, but Pan is like, he's not just like a centaur or a satyr. He's a god. Hmm. So he has this different, like, he was worshipped in a way. Like, you don't worship centaurs. You don't worship Kerberos, you know. They're there, but they're not to be worshipped. Valid. Very valid. So he, he, is, he is pretty special for a lot of reasons. A god, and of course, like so many other cultures, right? Like the Egyptians, among many, like that hybrid animal-human god was like the thing. Like that was what the gods were. They're always mixed-up hybrid creatures, not just human. So Pan is like connected in these fun ways by being a hybrid ancient god. One one of my impressions of Pan is that he's almost like the god of nostalgia in in a certain way. Hmm. And maybe that's an unfair interpretation. I think that might be a little bit cynical, but he definitely is kind of washed in sepia tone. It feels like even unto the Greek period. I think you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. Say more about like, do you think it's different from different periods or it's kind of a, a similar nostalgia you're seeing across the ages? I, th I mean, I, I know that when at any point in time, people say the mythic age was like 300 years in the past or more. So <laughs> I kind of suspect that when he was embraced by Rome, they were looking at the Greek antiquity. And when totally. they were embraced, when the Greeks kind of brought him into the pantheon, they were already looking at like the, the cost of civilization and this kind of, oh, yes. back in my day sort of thing. Mm. And then totally. the further you roll forward, well, except for like kind of the Middle Ages where he was kind of not discussed, but like any place that's that love classicism, he's like the doorway into a photograph of the natural world again that kind of miyazaki yes. energy of like mm. he is the god of nature but of the nature that we've lost more and more yes. the olden days let's worship yes. the way things were even though the way things are now and is, i wouldn't yeah. say that of any harvest god necessarily or, mm. or 
I mean, there aren't that many nature gods that kind of kept, but right. I would definitely like Pan has this, our pagan past association. I definitely in Britain where they start embracing yes. this lost halcyon day. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the wind in the willows has this phenomenal bit about him. It's buried in the late middle and it's called the piper at the gates of dawn. Yes. Are you going to read an excerpt? I might, I might read the, I might, yeah, let me skim it and I'll, I'll just kind of skim. It's about 15 pages or so, but it begins with um, Mole lying on the banks talking to Rat. Uh, and, uh, and the Wind in the Willows is also like Halcyon Days Go By. Like all British mm-hmm. naturalist literature is that. But they're kind of dreaming and talking about the song dreams they had on the, on the bank of the river. And Rat says, this is the place of my song dream, the place where music was played to me. Here's my holy place. And they go on to say, and surely we'll find him here. And there's a lot of kind of sweet language about like um, finding their way through nature. And then uh, trembling, he obeyed. uh, Let's see. Perhaps he never would have dared to raise his eyes, but that though the piping was now hushed, the call and the summons seemed still dominant and imperious. He might not refuse were death himself waited to strike instantly. Once he'd looked with his mortal eye on things rightly kept hidden. Trembling, Rat obeyed and raised his humble head. And then that utter clearness of the imminent dawn, while nature, flushed with fullness of incredible color, seemed to hold her breath for the event, he looked at the very eyes of the friend and helper, saw the backward sweep of the curved horns gleaming in the glowing daylight, saw the stern hooked nose between the kindly eyes that were looking down on them humorously while the bearded mouth broke in a half-smile at the corners saw the rippling muscles on the arm that lay across the broad chest, the long supple hand still holding the panpipes, only just fallen away from the parted lips, the splendid curves of the shaggy limbs disposed in majestic ease on the sword, last of all nestling between his very hooves, sleeping soundly in his entire peace and contentment, the little round podgy childish form of a baby otter. And they have a, there's a lovely little watercolor of it later on, and they have a, a wee little song about it, it's the song that Pan sang. It's, um, Lest the awe should dwell and turn your frolic to fret, you shall look upon my power at the helping hour, but then you shall forget, forget, forget. And he's, he fades, and again, that kind of portal into a nostalgic other world mm-hmm. is just so much what I associate with Pan now. Yes. I mean, that is like one of my favorite things about Pan is that resonant with him. And, and like you said, he... From the beginning, almost, there was that nostalgic quality of like, when we used to be more connected to nature, Mm. we used to be out there in in the woods and now we're civilized and that's great, but we're still, we're missing something. So he was from even antiquity, especially in the Roman period, already made nostalgic in a lot of ways. And then he kind of went dormant, like you said, and kind of got demonized, et cetera, in various ways. And then that wonderful return in the 19th century, which, you know, is so clearly connected to the industrial revolution and that like continued break from nature. And you see it in so many forms of art and literature and society where we're trying to like hold on to that lost sense of connection with nature. And Pan is just literally resurrected as that nostalgic nature God like, Oh, and he's so kindly Mm. like you described in that excerpt, right? He's not ugly or scary. He's, he's very much a goat God, but he's like benevolent and generous and revered in this very lovely way. And you see like the whole Art Nouveau movement like really embraces him as this very kind of kindly nature God who might read poetry with you on the bank of a river and things like this. He's so beloved it's, and it speaks to that loss of connection. It's right, with such projection. It's I just spent <laughs> a 12 hour day in a factory covered in soot, breathing fumes. Man, I just wish there was a sexy goat God to assuage my feelings. And I say let, that every day. Let me just daydream about the like. Ah, oh, pre- I mean, right? they're not wrong. They didn't we still feel that way. Yeah, right? it's, it's not like I'm. Yeah, and yeah. Symboli- symbolically, like Pan can't be a part of the modern world, and that was kind of where that mm. Dodecathion versus Chthonic kind of break is, because Pan is is deformed, uh, very natural, like un fit for modern society because maybe he sleeps with goats or goes crazy with the nymphs or whatever. He's not able to blend. And I think yeah. that's kind of part of why he's a, a, a gateway into the past God as well. 
Mm-hmm. Because the past mm-hmm. is always mythical and, and fictional and has more fuzzy places for these creatures to hide. Yeah, 100%. And you know, like there's so many directions we can go with this, but like one is like he became a symbol for the environmental movement in a mm. lot of ways. Like in the mid 20th century, there's, do you all know about the Findhorn Society? No, Scottish. <laughs> it's great. Findhorn, this like Scottish, like what is the word? Kind of new age group in the 1960s. And this one fellow, Ogilvy, Ogilvy Crombie, I think was his name. Of course he it is. He had these encounters with Pan, right? It's a great name. He met Pan in like these city parks and Pan was like, why have you forsaken me? And it was like an environmental message, right? Like you guys, I'm right here and you're ignoring me and you're going to pay the price. And, you know, here we are with climate crises and things like this because we're not paying attention to Pan. So it's like the idea that he's there and we've just like forgotten him. If only we could reconnect with him. Right. All of right. our modern woes would be would be rectified again, balanced again. It's nice there's a promise of a brighter future because I don't think you get that with Wind in the Willows. Just mm. that's just fading, fading, fading. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the like really interesting things, if you're a union, is this idea that the devil is basically Pan's shadow, right? So we've like repressed Pan and all that he represents in terms of our connection with nature. And it's bubbled up in this perverse way that is construed as like the devil and evil. And it's just our own psyche grappling with our lack of connection to the natural world and our natural selves. So they're like the light and the dark of the same and, and that, yeah, that, that definitely swings back to Pan was all in good and part of religion until religion was something else. And the new religion mm-hmm. didn't like the old religion. Yes. And thus all the old stuff is bad and also evil and yep. also wrong. And everything they did, ex nay. Well, that, yep. that has to take us to like the classic line that so many people think of when they think of Pan. That is the great god Pan is dead. Yeah. Oh my Not, gosh. Freaking Plutarch, man. Freaking Plutarch. The, I appreciate the, the lead into that because it is important, but is it real? I mean, I don't think he's dead, do you? Well, I, I, I have nothing to compare to, honestly. He hasn't shown up. I, I'm waiting. <laughs> still waiting. Um, and a lot of kind of the, the Christian interpretation of this, and I think a kind of diseased interpretation of this, is yeah. Pan died because of the new age of theology. And that feels extraordinarily after the fact. When, when was Plutarch? That was just going to say, when was Plutarch? First century, something like that. I want to say like first century CE. I've got him in, in the notes here. He was, oh. he was around zero, you know, so under the reign of Emperor Tiberius. Yeah. Okay. So it could have been at the same time, actually. Okay. Well, hmm. Oh, well, him and, and see, that's the thing is it's Pan is dead because we no longer need him. Indeed. Not Pan is dead because we killed him. Right. 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 Yeah. Plutarch is first century. They don't say how he died or what happened. Just like he's dead. Spread the word. That era and, is over. And they don't mention that uh, classical Greek continues on to like 300 or so. I mean, yeah. there was some some parallel here. And it's specifically and I I have absolutely no academic background. Therefore, I will say this with authority <laughs> is this is not a. Pan is dead because Christ is risen statement. A it lot is. of people, no, a lot of people don't think so? backronymed that and they went back and was like, oh, this mm. is clear proof that the, that the new Christianic religion was taking off. Yeah. It was, I mean, I'm sure that there, was, there were influences and I'm sure it was touched, but they're separate. You can't say all of this is good because Plutarch said Pan is dead, right? Yeah. We, we are totally reinterpreting that 2,000 years in the future, and we have as much much credo as, as anyone else. Like, meh. Yeah, but you're right that, uh, I mean, like those early Christian writers, like third, fourth, fifth centuries, like they totally jumped on that Plutarch bandwagon. Right? And that's so, the yeah. thing. This, is, this works. <laughs> yeah. Early Christian writers were 250 AD to 300, 400 AD. Like early Christian writers were way after yeah. This in yeah. 100 AD, 70 years after like the death of Christ, it was so small. It was so tiny. It was, so new, right? it was yeah. not this world changing thing. But there was there was an event around there. And that is the Roman takeover of virtually everything, which is like right. about mm-hmm. six, 60 BC or so. Mm. So, I mean, the 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 Greek period, a lot of that got snuffed out by mm. Roman military 
sure. uh, force and kind of in the same way that the modern era is brought in by world war one where everything kind of broke mm. down like there was so much horror and and despair in that period mm. from the roman takeover mm. so it may be that in a sense the world that contained pan the greek world but but the world in love with the natural side as well might have been stomped into the ground by rome along with um a lot of the greek uh, power structures that were in the area at the time yeah. that might not have been yeah. so much pan is dead it might have also kind of implied that maybe is zeus roman jupiter is roman so that maybe jupiter is roman in a sense a lot of the other greek gods were dead as well mhm mhm i mean i always think of alexander as one of those pivotal figures not that he had anything to do with pan but kind of the end of the greek world and kind of passing the torch into this new roman era a lot of chaos and a lot of power struggle after he died, et cetera. And things were never quite the same again. Right, right. He did He did so much. He merged so many cultures. <laughs> and then it all combusted, right? And fell yeah, apart into that's, something that's, else. That's fair. That's fair. But it does <laughs> kind of take us to Pan and the devil, which mm. there's a connection there. But how, oh, yeah. st- how strong is it? Some people would say 100%. Some people would say, eh. What do you all think? This is like, there's so many things to say about this, right? But one thing I grapple with is this like continuity of these figures, right? And like the horned God, right? It all connects to the horned God. Have people been worshiping a horned nature God for thousands of years or did that break? And then it's gotten re-resurrected, re-erected, resurrected as like a neo-paganism. Like is neo-paganism a thing or do we just have paganism in different forms? Oh my gosh. Uh... Neo-paganism is the revival faith. But is it revived or is it continuous or is it both? It's, I, um, I would, I would kind of argue it's a creative writing project from the third, from like Interesting. Nine, uh, 1930 or so, but yeah. it wants to be older. It wants to be older right. to embrace these old ideas. Again, that halcyon days of your thing. Mm-hmm. The nostalgia part. So yeah. I, I kind of resonate with a lot of this. We'll, we'll talk about 1400 to 1600 when the church and the Holy Roman Empire were all over Central Europe. Mm. The Holy Roman Empire, the Merovingian Empire, I mean, we're going from the Arctic all the way down to the Baltic, is kind of proto-Catholic, right? And we're doing these things and we're, we're combining things and we're bringing things into places and then while we've got the knowledge, the general unwashed masses, myself included, really didn't have the full proper education. We just knew this is the thing, this is the thing, goat equals bad, right? And so you don't get the full story. And it's just, oh, well, you know, in church on Sunday, they told me the goat is bad and therefore the goat is bad. Without right, saying no there's a full history of Greek nature entities. Mm-hmm. Right, it's mm-hmm. the, the cultural embrace of like classical humanity that was a, a, a Renaissance era thing that really mm-hmm. kind of started in Italy and then bubbled its way north to England and further. But it was a while before the cultures were kind of in harmony on these ideas, uh, particularly since there was the fierce anti-pagan thing happening in in Germany, Scotland, and all points north. Right, mm-hmm. and it, it's that anti-paganism where it's. This A is bad, B is bad, but it's up to you to conflate A and B together. Mm. Right? Yeah, and put them together. I mean, like a hundred percent, right? And it's all fluid. And I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I like to believe. Oh, you can be confident. We- I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah. In fact, I was totally there. <laughs> but like nothing really dies in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like these pagan traditions have been like absorbed, obviously, into Christian traditions. We know that. Yeah. From Christmas to Easter and the imagery and all these things. Like those are pagan elements that have right. been absorbed, right? Like that's a thing that happens. We know that. So why couldn't that be the same with the horn god and some of these other ideas of nature worship where maybe some of them persist? There's definitely the nostalgia and the neo-paganism component that like lays it on heavy. But I feel like there's always an undercurrent, right? And things just kind of bubble up and manifest in different ways. But they're they're not just like that ended, this began. Mm-hmm. It's it's fluid, right? My, but my, then my, my pain point here. I'm sorry, yeah. I should let you go I ahead. Let you, no, okay. no. My pain point here is that so much changed with the Reformation. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of older ideas of paganism got really like twisted and corrupted by that period. So mm-hmm. while you might have 
corn gods and Kurninos and and Pan and um, uh, the ram god from Egypt kind of running at the same time, all of them get shoved together into the like nightmare idea of the Black Sabbath and the evil goat god, the black goat that kind of lords over that. And we have images of these ancient goat gods get fused into um, Lucifuge and the the other like demons of, of the Sabbath. And it's not, this is not real myth. This is like insane Christian weird obsession with chastity desperately yeah. looking for like um for enemies darkness this is a whole new it's mythology intentional right it's a yeah mythology. and it is kind of okay so to combine the two of your statements um everything kind of flows together there is no absolute change except when and then the combination of all these things into the one evil i really really want to throw crowley under the bus <laughs> because it was specifically crowley and his ilk and they're like hey let's do this thing with goats, um, Baphomet, Pan, etc., and the oh god, like the Knight of Pan, the Nox, and the the you know whatever they specifically were like, hey, we're going to do this thing, goats, Pan, etc., and the rest of the world was suddenly it's like, okay, here is a clear and de- decisive representation. Goats are now evil. Thus, from here on forward, all goats are evil. All Pan is devil. It was Crowley specifically stating these things, which then cemented the rest of the world into his idea. Yeah. But I mean, it happened even earlier than that, don't you think? Like, I mean, yes, he amplified it. (laughs) Uh, It it happened earlier, but he made it big and for everyone to latch on to. He did. He was probably a really sweet guy. I hear he (laughs) made great sandwiches. I don't want to dislike him. But the things he did. He hurt goats. Yeah, he kind of took naturalism and helped the rest of the world vilify it. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But that's, I mean, like, it's so interesting that, like, Satanism is just one thing. Right. Has come back around, you know, maybe, I don't know, in the last 25 years or Mm. less to be about humanism and about, like, feminism Mm. and, like, these positive aspects of society kind of, like, in response to, you know, the the evils of patriarchy, quote unquote, or what have you, right? Like, it's kind of, it had that dark chapter of like being super alternative and occult, which is also beautiful. I don't want to like misconstrue that. But then it's come back around to like, let's embrace Satan as he's actually like, you know, like a Prometheus figure or like a liberator mm, of humans yeah. in a way. He's like a positive force, the fallen angel Lucifer kind of connection, I suppose, which isn't goatee, but it kind of comes back around in a sense. <laughs> Quick aside, what was the name of the mother goat? Amalthea. Amalthea. What was the name of Crowley's religion. Thelema. Thelema. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> They're so close. So close. If you're postulating so Amathelema, I'm sure that there's some people that would get behind that. Be a feminist, I bet he was aware of that. A feminist pastoral interpretation of Thelema. <laughs> would they get behind Thelema or would Thelema get behind? Never mind. <laughs> get behind me. Was he pulling one from the other, or was he just making fancy noises with his face? I think it was fancy noises with his face. Okay. Both, though. But, I mean, he was pulling from all kinds of things, wasn't he? He was mixing it all up into his new concoction. Because, because Crowley loved Pan. Yes. And he, he traveled to Central, he traveled to Arcadia, and he built his little shrine to Pan. He did his rituals to Pan. Wasn't there like uh, a hymn to Pan read at his funeral? Yeah. Like that was what he wanted um, read? He had a lovely tea service with good china to pan. Like I said, we, we probably would have been friends if I knew him. It's just the things he did. Yeah. Well, he was a cult leader in some sense, right? That's mm. always problematic. <laughs> mm. But what did he love about pan? Like, he, I mean, part of what he loved about it was the like hedonistic liberating component, right? Like do what you like, be who you are, free love, like these kinds of things that pan does represent. And the devil can kind of represent, but Pan kind of was there first in terms of being libidinous and, and free-spirited in that way, without the evil component. Just do what you like, as long yeah. as you don't hurt anybody. I think that's fair. A lot of early left-hand theology was to get our free will back from the powers that had stolen it away from us mm-hmm. and own that. 
And that's why a lot of that early, like hardcore religious rebellion had to happen is because we'd given ourselves to the government and to the church. Or at least that's the story that we want to tell ourselves. I think the entire 1800s is this, is a rising tide of people um, finding new theologies for themselves anyway. That's so interesting. I mean, we're kind of in a similar moment now, people like exploring new theologies and, you know, new traditions and neo neo paganism or whatever we want to call it. Yeah. Searching for meaning. Did I definitely a pendulum there? Yeah. Well, it's kind of split in two and it's more like one of those, uh, uh, the desktop the yeah, de- inertia balls. <laughs> the executive desktop toy to amuse yes. you while you're <laughs> yes. very much so. No, I can see that. Tic tac, tic tac, tic tac. I don't feel like Pan was the devil or the devil was Pan. There's a lot of goat rivers that kind of wash together. Mm-hmm. And Pan is one of these tides and yeah. um the the Miss the like goat devils in the desert are another one of these tides and they mm-hmm. kind of wash into this murky place. And this is where like the, the reformation is kind of like this base and everything washes into it and becomes kind of tarnished. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, I feel like the, the middle ages, the like late middle ages reformation period is just kind of a big, like on mythology right. in some ways. It's like a big reset button to me. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to, to start the end game, a devil, a deva, a demon, is a entity of action, not necessarily evil. Satan is the adversary, mm-hmm. not necessarily evil. Mm-hmm. Pan... But a jerk. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Trickster. <laughs> Pan, his motivation is not evil. His motivation is not the no. downfall of humanity, and his motivation is not opposing god nope of which of course there's only one one true god who pan doesn't like but that wasn't his motivation but like does pan not like him or does he not like it's it's like one directional right oh 100 percent. this one monotheistic male god that is like yeah yeah i'm it yeah the rest of y'all can and And Pan is just like a he's like a scapegoat for all of the pagan 100 he's a scapegoat in every sense of the word of scapegoat (laughs) yes we're putting all of this on him yeah. Which he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. And that's why, you know, like this like whole thing of like our relationship with like the feminine and nature and all the things that God isn't, right? It's like focus on, you know, ascending to heaven. And this is just like something you have to endure here on earth. Mm. Kind of back to what I think Jacob said early on about the earthiness of Pan, right? And the the way that so much of Christianity is like deny deny, deny, deny the flesh instead of embrace the flesh, which is very much what Pan is about. It's like, we are of the earth. Right. We're natural. Like those things don't go together. And so that's why it becomes you know, <laughs> evil. But Pan wasn't doing anything evil. He's just nature, you know, if, as are we. <laughs> if your right hand causes you to sin, good job, hand high five. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so sad. Like we have to reconnect with him, right? Like that's the whole message. Like what did we lose? With all of that Christian stuff. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if part of, I mean, this is, this is maybe like taking all of this mythology with like a gallon of Fraser aid. Um, if Pan is, Pan is a horned God, he's not the horned God, but he's a right. horned God. And it feels like to some degree, Pan almost has to die. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm looking at like mythic ties to Enkidu um, also kind of a horn god figure who had to die. And it's just kind of the nature of male ungulate god to, to, to fall. And sometimes to get back up again, not necessarily always. But um, if, if he's a god that can't really fit into the, into the modern world, and definitely by like 100 AD, we we're starting to see like the, the peril of uh, autocracy and urbanism. Mm-hmm. Maybe Pan has to be a, a, a god that dies and hopefully is resurrected. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of people would say, right? They wanted him out of the way, but did he have to die? I mean, I, I like I like to think that he still lived on and he didn't actually die. That was just the myth that was told in order for, to move in these other directions. But did he ever go away? He's always been lurking. 
It's kind of a, a, a big break between the modern kind of horn mm. god myth. Modern myth is that the horn god is a pair. Like the horn god is tied in this cycle with the the mother goddess, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the the, fun, the like monomyth of modern neo paganism is this this pairing of horn male nature god female more or less sky goddess mm. mother goddess sort mm-hmm. of thing nature goddess and they're they're mm-hmm. a pair and mm-hmm. pan is very single like that's almost a part of his myth is he's um oh, you know okay. despite being a a a a, a sex god he's chronically a single one right kind of like I, there, there's certain like dark side of male that you get with him i don't know if you get that with mm-hmm. with Prepus necessarily but they hang uh-huh. out together a lot I mean, some myths say that Priapus is his son. Like, there's some versions where he he is like one of his only offspring that Pan has is is Priapus, which like says everything. Oh, you can see the resemblance. (laughs) 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 But you know, like Pan is like, yes, he has all those myths about him, right, of being you know frustrated bachelor or whatever, and just like super libidinous and all this stuff. But he represents; he's part of that whole horn god tradition, right, and all those different ideas about divinity. I think. It's everything gets so oversimplified when we look at it 2000 years on. Right. I think that the ancient Greeks probably had a much more layered and sophisticated understanding of how he fit into this idea of divinity that we're kind of coming around to at the end of this conversation than how we think of him today, where we're just kind of tend to be literalists about myths, right? When they're really just so much more nuanced than that. And a myth is one thing, worshiping a god is, is different, right? A myth mm. is almost like the tip of the iceberg versus the actual relationship you had with Pan as somebody who really worshipped him as a god in antiquity and maybe saw him as much more complex and robust than just the stories. One of our friends that we were having, that we were, one of our friends that we met at the Catholic salons we were running um, had a really okay. great line along the lines of that uh, religion is a physical practice that builds spirituality. And so like religion is the, is the physical practiced side. And myth is entirely different. Myth is the things that we maybe want to believe, not necessarily believe, believe. Belief is such a very nebulous word anyway. So, 1800s factory worker, dreaming of the halcyon days of nature and pan was a myth, not a religion? Well, I mean, it connects so much to these ideas of the sublime, right? I mean, wouldn't you say that that 19th century nostalgia for nature had a spiritual dimension to it? And, I, and religion, I think, has a has a physicality to it. It's tied to rituals and mm. practices. I mean, you and institutions. You can, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, but but it's definitely a thing you do as opposed to a thing you necessarily just think about and read about and heard about. And not to discount myths either. Not at all. Not at all. And it's not to say that these myths can't be driving forces in your well-being and mindset because if that's what keeps you going every day it's like just dreaming of the the halcyon days and the forests and the trees but you're not actively ritualizing them then it's still an acceptable myth it's something to get you through the day for sure hold on to some some piece of beauty in the world and imagine a greater beauty and then write your congressman about it (laughs) 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 to to better or worse that Joseph Campbell quote, right? That myth is just somebody else's religion. It, it is right. the same. Okay, that's, it's just yeah. the perspective you have on it. And sense. you're not actively participating in it. Is it your religion or hmm. yeah, just a story? But if it's if it is your religion, then the myth is the religion, right? They, they can be synonymous, but they're not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, myth may be someone else's religion, but religion is the practice of myth. Yeah, yeah. I know, it just makes me think about meaning that that is like, the original quote unquote, whatever that means, worship of Pan versus how we're trying to connect him today. And like, we just kind of struggle, I think, to to find connections where maybe they are, they are lost. <laughs> Not to end on a sad note, but it feels forced maybe in a way. It, it does. And I think the horn God has a happy ending that Pan doesn't necessarily. Mm. I mean, maybe, maybe Pan lives, but it's, it's again, this filtered kind of thing vanishing into the forest. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the horn god is a, is a resurrection entity and, you know, mm-hmm. was is, is a new story of resurrection, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But it's not a sad ending 
it's a motivation. It's a dream. It's the mm. grasping. And because you grasp it, it's not gone, right? We keep it alive. Yeah, we keep it alive. Hopes and dreams. <laughs> I may never act on these hopes and dreams, but I dream. So is he... I mean, the Fae myth is one that does fade. It's a dream thing. It's it's things that flit away. It's fairy gold that turns to feathers. And, you know, again, hand fades, 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 and is in the wind and the willows is something that you can't remember. You can only kind of kind of grasp the vague flavor of or the scent of the next day. No. Um, and that's... That is one road. And I think that people that manifest him in his in their lives now... Maybe that's a different path. Right. Um, one, I'll always argue, Pan is not Fey. Right? Sure, maybe over a thousand years, he went north to Scotland and turned Fey. I want to say he came from Arcadia. <laughs> Arca Wait. But Arcadia's not Fey. Fey is it, northern. Oh, really? I don't know. You can't prove that in court now. It might have existed, <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's another word for fairyland now. Well, now no, that's... Is. Wait. That's not where he came from. I know. I'm being a little silly and not okay. quite. Okay. I have to finish a sentence before my brain explodes. <laughs> the, the whole grasping, right? If he's not inherently present, but if you're still dreaming, if you're still hoping, and if he's still guiding your, your choices, or even your dreams and your hopes, then he is, right? He may not be actively present but the whole was like i'm looking for a sign that sign is in the forest i'm going to go to the forest and find it and there is that one leaf that leaf is the sign i'm looking for nature i will now dismember this leaf so that's a crossroads for us is this the god of hope for a new connection to nature or is this the God of memories of nature that we haven't even experienced, but like our grandfather's nature. Mm. Like, can you be both? Is he both? I like Depend on who you ask and what day of the week it is and what job you do. <laughs> yes. And it depends on reality, right? Which I don't Very like to much. say, but Very much. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to be constrained by reality, but it's both, right? Because right. it is hope, but it's also the past because we can't go backwards. If you're walking down the, the road, how does it go? <clears throat> As you walk down the road, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Is that the whole story? That's the whole story. Because which, <laughs> which fork do you take? That's a very frustrating the road less analogy there. <laughs> I think when we think about Pan today, we can choose to have an optimistic, positive relationship with him. That is, like we were saying earlier, like nostalgic inherently just because of where we are, but it does connect to Satan and the devil and these ideas too, or like these ideas that are thought of as evil turn to kind of be flipped. It's like looking at, at figures like Medusa and things too, like looking at monsters and realizing that they have this beautiful power as well. And we can kind of flip them for our own purposes and re-embrace them in this modern era and kind of reinterpret them. And I think Pan is, is ripe. For that as well so i will always argue that he's not dead maybe he's resurrected but he's still here one way or the other is the, the a category of things we can embrace as we face the world and, and what to yeah. get away from what it's becoming hmm. and things that were once thought as evil are actually not what we thought they've been misconstrued they've been painted as something that they weren't and now we can see them with different eyes i think Well, dear listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode. And thank you so much, Liz, for brightening our Zoom chat with your, with your presence. It's such a treat talking with you again. Likewise. Thank you. And we are looking forward to hearing more from you in maybe the spring as you embark on your next path. But until then, we will see you in hell. Bye. 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 This podcast is copyright 2023 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. 
Look for us in your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at the Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. I'm looking through my show notes. Did we, did we get anything? Did we get everything? Hey, uh, what about Peter Pan? Oh, shit. What about Peter Pan? Let's talk about him in March. <laughs>